Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. It's Thanksgiving Day, and I don't suspect that you're going to be listening to a financial podcast on Thanksgiving. But I do want to be clear that one of my favorite parts of this podcast is talking to real people like you, people who have financial questions that are maybe bothering them. Maybe they just want a second set of eyes or ears on a problem that's going on or just a question. That to me is so gratifying that you will take the time to actually send us an email and many of you come on the show. Some of you are a little shy. And as a result, my Thanksgiving gift to you is to just answer a bunch of emails that we have received. So if you do have a question and it's on your mind and maybe some of this uh, will trigger something for you to ask, just send an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Okay, good. Let's start with a question from Charmel, who says, my husband and I have recently retired. We've met with three financial advisors and are still confused about which one is proposing the best strategy or plan for us. We're looking for yet another opinion to help guide us on the best plan. We're concerned about making a mistake with our nest egg. I get that. I think at some point you have to really consider what these three people are. Are they certified financial planners? So they ha- Do they have a designation? Are they held to the fiduciary standard? Must they put your interest first? before anyone else, before themselves or their company. And you can just ask. And if you really don't want to get involved with someone who's going to sell any product or collect a commission, you can always try a fee-only advisor at the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors or NAPFA.org. All right. Hopefully that's good for you. Okay. Who's this from? Joe. Uh, I found your advice uh, on whether to pay off a mortgage to be valuable as my wife and I are pondering the issue. Your suggestion to pay down some is the thought that my wife had. However, I have a follow-up question. You indicated a caveat that the interest deduction still provided for adequate justification for keeping the debt. If the 2017 tax bill now triggers the standard deduction, it would seem that the mortgage interest deduction is not a factor in one's tax obligation. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's true. If you are now claiming the standard deduction, you are actually not interested in the mortgage interest deduction anymore. So it doesn't really help you. So there's another factor. 90% of taxpayers last year filed claiming the standard deduction. That's amazing to me. Okay, Tanya has a question, and here it is. Do I focus on debt or retirement or emergency fund? This is when I am annoying and say yes. Okay, Tanya's 50. She makes 150, sorry, $105,000 a year. She's married, no kids. Tanya's a teacher. She's got a defined benefit pension. Woo-hoo, love those. I have about $150,000 in my 403B. I stopped contributing to it a few months ago to focus on debt. I can retire with my full pension at age 62. Oh, brother, I have $14,000 in credit card debt. How did that happen? And wait, $85,000 in student loans. I'm hurting, and Mark is shrieking. He looks like Edouard Munch, the scream right now. 
Okay, plus, wait a second, an $8,500 in a car loan. My job is secure. I have only $1,000 in an emergency fund. What should I be focusing on and in what order? All right, you are correct that you should absolutely stop contributing to the 403B. I might, depending on the interest rate, Mark, what do you think about taking a loan against the 403B and paying some of this down? You don't like it? Mark doesn't like it. I want to at least think about it. I want to think about if the credit card debt is like 22%, I might want you to consider taking out, you know, $14,000 loan against the 403B if you're allowed to pay down the credit card debt at the very least, because that's insidious. And then if you were to do that, what you would do is for every dollar that is coming in of like extra cash flow, you would essentially pay down the higher interest debt and split that between the high interest debt and an emergency fund. That's it. That's how I would do it. And that's the order. You basically, I want to get rid of that credit card debt because I'm just scared that, that the interest rate is nuts. If I'm wrong, then, you know, you'll follow up with me. But when you, everyone listening, if you've got two big issues, debt and lack of an emergency reserve fund, both need addressing. So I think that you kind of have to split the difference. All right. Okay. One of my favorite topics from Jane, who wants to talk about converting traditional IRAs into a Roth IRA. Hi, Jill. I turned 66 this past September and I retired in May. I have a pension. Look at all these pension people, Mark. 8300 bucks per month. After taxes, she brings home $6,600 a month. And she's got a million bucks in a traditional IRA. She says, I know I have some time before required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half. And I've now thought about converting some of my money into a Roth. How much should I consider converting? I've thought about paying taxes now if I convert or wait till I'm forced to RMDs. I know that Social Security and Medicare will be impacted. I've got one adult son, two other family members that are beneficiaries. Is another purpose of a Roth IRA to save taxes for those that stand to inherit any money that may be left over? I love my family, but not wanting to pay taxes and incur more Medicare costs for that reason only. Maybe I should convert a little bit at a time starting next year and just pay the taxes until I turn 70. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I like. The money you've put into a traditional IRA, a 401k, a 403b, it hasn't been taxed yet, right? And the government has a rule. It's called the required minimum distribution. And that rule says that after you turn 70 and a half, you've got to start taking money out of the account. And the money you take out is taxable income to you, right? And so what the question is referring to is that when some people take that distribution out, especially in a big account like this, a million-dollar account, what it can do is it can cause your Social Security benefits to be taxed, and it can also cause all of your, your, your just total income to rise and make your Medicare more expensive. So the idea of converting a little bit at a time to reduce what those future distributions will be is kind of fantastic. What I would just caution you is in this particular case, I think what may, might make sense is that as you do this, make sure that you stay within the sort of the next tax bracket, right? Uh, it looks to me like you're in the 24% tax bracket. So don't convert more money than would put you into a higher tax bracket. Okay, excellent. Uh, all right, here is a question from Fred. 
who says that I'm 70 years old. Look at all these 70-year-olds listening to the pod. I love it. 60, 70. It's not just for young people. I'd like your opinion suggestion for my situation. I'm 70 years old, not working. I live on Social Security, which is $2,900 a month. I have a traditional IRA, $335,000, and a Roth of $60,000. Okay, so I've got a 30-year mortgage balance of about $143,000. I'm considering using my traditional IRA to pay off the mortgage 100%. This would allow me to be completely debt-free. No other debts. Do you think it's a good idea? No, no, Fred, no. Here's why. You don't have that much liquidity, meaning you don't have that many assets that you can tap into. So what I believe that you should do is to simply keep the money that you have in your traditional IRA and don't touch it. And if you don't need money that comes out from, say, that required minimum distribution every year, then you could pay a little bit more towards the pay down. But what's the difference? The big problem that I think you are facing is that you do not want to lose this money, this $335,000. You don't want to lose access to it. And paying off that mortgage will mean you will no longer have access to those funds. So N-O spells no. Okay. Natalia wants to consolidate all of her accounts. She doesn't want to pay a financial advisor 1% or more. Planning on retiring in the next five years, would Vanguard be a good alternative where they charge only 0.3%? Hey, this is a question about online financial advisors or robo-advisors. And I think the Vanguard Personal Service Advisor is a great choice, but you should also check out Betterment or Wealthfront or Schwab Intelligent Portfolio. Those are the biggies. Let me do that again for everyone listening. So Vanguard Personal Service Advisor, Schwab Intelligent Portfolio, Wealthfront, and Betterment. Those are the biggies. Those are the ones you should check out. Okay, Tom wants to know, where should I move my $150,000? When I quit my one and a quarter percent advisor, that's the subject. Here's the message. Hi, Jill. I love your podcast and newsletter. I started listening to you years ago when you were a guest on WBAL in Baltimore, where I worked in ad sales, WBAL, the blowtorch of the mid-Atlantic. Okay. So he's 38. He lives in North Carolina outside of Raleigh. And he says he's got a 401k through work. He's maxing out. And there's an old IRA with an advisor in Baltimore. It feels like I am on track for retirement. I've got a good plan for college savings. Where should I move that 150000 in the IRA? Vanguard? Maybe a target date fund somewhere else? So this is just like the previous emailer. You can choose one of the robo-advisors. You could also do it yourself. If you are going to go into a Vanguard or a T. Rowe Price or a TD Ameritrade or a Fidelity, what you may want to think about is just buying the index funds on your own. And then, you know, if you don't need advice, that would be the cheapest way. Otherwise, check out some of those online guys. David writes, I'm 53 years old. I'm married. Only one of us is employed at this time. We have $800,000 in retirement assets, 500 in a traditional 401k and traditional IRA and 300 in a Roth IRA. I've got an additional $250,000 in non-retirement liquid cash assets. I'm currently putting 24 grand in the 401k at work, plus $6,500 
in Roth for each of us. So they're both 50, over 50. Okay, the question, should we convert our traditional retirement assets immediately or wait until I retire and we only have 90 grand in pensions coming or do we not mess around with conversions at all? I would wait till your tax bracket drops. The question is, so mm, this is tough. Right now, you know, you've got total income, which is what he's provided me, about $185,000. Half of that comes from an old military pension. So, I mean, you're in the 24% tax bracket. You could convert a little bit at a time. I'm going to make this the recommendation. I think you could do a little bit at a time. Don't convert more that, that would put you over your tax bracket limit. But the reason why I think just a little bit is, you know, when you retire in 10 years, you actually may be in a higher tax bracket because taxes may go up for everybody. So that's something to consider. Okay, Mark, what do you think about that for a Thanksgiving show? I think it's a wrap also. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to thank my guests, all of you who write and listen very attentively all the time. We drop new episodes of Jill on Money every Tuesday and Thursday. Sometimes we throw in a bonus episode. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer, and I am so thankful for him. We are distributed by the kind folks at Cadence 13, and our show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks.